So today, in honor of our, our moms, I want to share a message entitled, God Sees. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Genesis chapter 16, uh, not Nehemiah chapter 5. We, next week, we'll pick up Nehemiah. I just did not have the heart to preach on a guy on Mother's Day, so we're going we're gonna to preach on a lady, and uh, her name is Hagar, and she is mentioned in the Bible in Genesis chapter 16, and I hope this message encourages you. I really do. That's, that's my goal. That's my objective for all, not only the moms and grandmoms and great-grandmoms, but all ladies here today, because I understand uh, not all ladies present are, are moms, but I, I hope that you're encouraged today. In fact, I was, I was reading this pastor th- this week, and he said something that, I don't know, it just kind of startled me. He said, the most dangerous thing that I do as a pastor is preach on Mother's Day. And I thought he was being comical. I thought it was kind of a joke. But I kept reading his article, and he was, he was very serious. And he went on to say this. I know that I'm in danger of hurting people instead of helping them. Some of you didn't have good mothers. They weren't there for you. Perhaps they were even abusive of you. And the last thing you want to hear is some sappy Mother's Day sermon. Others of you don't feel like you're a good mom. And secretly, you hope that I would not begin my sermon by saying, please turn to Proverbs chapter 31, because you do not feel like you measure up. And then there are those who desperately want to be a mother, and your biological clock is ticking down, and you wonder if you'll ever fulfill your dream of being a mother. I'm also painfully aware that some people in our congregation have recently lost their mother or their child and they are still mourning that loss. And so he concludes his article with this, the most dangerous thing that I do as a pastor. He he concludes it with these words. I pray that my words today will be encouraging and not hurtful. And that is exactly my prayer as well. In fact, I want to lead us in, in a prayer as we get into this text today. God, thank you so much for each mom that is here. And thank you, Lord, for each lady that is here. And I pray that today... As we preach the Word of God, as we study one of the Old Testament characters, Hagar, I pray that you would use her example, God, to lift us up, to lift us all up, male and female alike, but especially, God, that you would bless each each woman, each young lady uh, that is here today. God, may we be refreshed. May we be reminded that you are the God that provides for us. You are the God that sees us. You are the God that hears us. You are the God that makes promises to us. You are the God that cares deeply for us. Help us to be reminded of these truths, God, as we study your word today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So Genesis chapter 16 is our text. And before I read it, let let me give you just a brief kind of up-to-date what is going on. Abraham and Sarai, they, they believe they have heard from God that they are going to have a child. And through this child, through his progeny through his posterity that God will bless the nations. That's Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. But when you come to Genesis chapter 16, Abraham and Sarah, they get impatient. And instead of waiting on God, they decide to help God. And let me just say, whenever you and I begin to help God and to manipulate the situation, it always turns out disastrously. And we're going to find this in Genesis chapter 16. So Sarah has this great idea. She says, here's what we'll do. It's a terrible idea, but here's, here's what she does. She says, you know, you and I, we're, we're not having babies. So here, what I want you to do, Abraham, I want you to sleep with Hagar, my maidservant, and then maybe you can have a baby, and then uh, we'll fulfill God's promises. 
You say, that is not in the Bible. I've read the Bible. That is not in the Bible. It's in the Bible, okay? That's one of the reasons I believe it is the Word of God, because it, it, it includes the good, the bad, and the, and the ugly and the difficult. But I'm so glad it includes it because it shows us what a great God God is. Because God can come into our mess and He can really make it a, a message, right? Or God can take our, our, our setbacks and He can use them for a setup. And that's exactly what He does here with Hagar. So she conceives they, and, and she's pregnant. And the moment that Sarah finds out that Hagar is pregnant, I mean, she turns on her. She is angry. She is jealous. She is just so upset. And so she kicks her out of the house. And so Hagar, here she is pregnant, and she leaves her, her home. She leaves her employment. She leaves her friends. She leaves it all. And she's heading back, and it doesn't say it in the text, but when you look at it on the map, she's going to Egypt. She's in the Arabian desert, and she's getting away from it all. And this is when God appears to her. So that's the context of the text. So let me, let me read the story. Here's what happens. Now the angel of the Lord, notice this capital A, and there's a reason for that. We'll talk about this in a moment. Not just your ordinary angel, all right? Not, not that, but this. Now the angel of the Lord found her, that would be Hagar, by a spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring, here it is, on the way to Shur. Now she's She's on her way to Egypt. She's about to go to the desert. And, and God said to her, Hagar, Sarah's maid, where have you come from and where are you going? And she said, I am fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarah. And the angel of the Lord said to her, return, go back to your mistress and submit yourself under her hand. And then the angel of the Lord said to her, I will multiply your descendants exceedingly so that they shall not be counted for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are with child, and you shall bear a son, and you will call his name Ishmael. And Ishmael literally means the God who hears. Do you notice the, the suffix there, the L? Whenever you see the L on there, it's going to reflect something about the name of God. And so we're going to call him Ishmael, because the Lord has heard your affliction. He shall be a wild man, uh, the prophecy is. His hand shall be against every man, and every man's hand will be against him. And he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. In verse 13, what a, what a powerful text. I love what happens here. You, you see God just, just intervene and she called the name of the Lord. Now, whenever Lord is capitalized, that's Jehovah, that is Yahweh, that's the eternal, self-existing God who was and is, will ever be the one true living God. That, that, all of that is in caps there, the tetragramman, that's what that is, the capital, L-O-R-D, who spoke to her, you are the God who sees, she said. You are El Roy is the name, the Hebrew name for God. You are El Roy, the God who sees, for she said... Have I also here seen him who sees me? This is a famous text, and I know there's lots of theology, there's a lots of debate, there's a, there's a whole lot that goes on around this text, and I'm not really going to spend hardly any time there. Uh, I, I understand that, and I'll refer to it in just a moment about Arabs and so forth. I have a good friend who's a, who's a professor, he used to be a professor at Southwestern Seminary, and, and he helped me understand this, and I'm going to share a little bit of what he shared with me, but the main thing I want you to get out of this is the God that cares for the brokenhearted, the God who 
who looks down and he sees this woman who's been mistreated, this woman who, now true, I mean, she, she allowed herself to get into this tangled web of, you know, you, you heard my story a minute ago, what happened? And yet, even in the midst of that, God comes to her, he cares for her, God makes promises to her, and God literally sees her in her plight, in her difficulty, and God begins to lift her up so that he restores her and she makes her way back to Abraham and to Sarah. So the first thing I want you to notice with me in the text is, I want to look at verses 7, 8, and 9, is that God does care. God cares for the brokenhearted. Notice how he addresses her in her flight. She is heading back to Egypt by way of the Arabian desert, and in the middle of it, God intervenes and God speaks to her. And and I, and I haven't seen this before until I think it was either late last night or this morning when I was reading over this text again. There's something here that I had never seen before, and it's the omnipresence of God. God's omni, Psalm 139 says God is everywhere, right? David said, if I make my, my bed up into heaven, God, you are there. If I make my bed into Sheol, God, you are there. God, you are ubiquitous. God, you are everywhere. You are all present. You are omnipresent. And yet God... Oftentimes, when you see him in Scripture, it's not so much his generic omnipresence, it's his presence to bless, okay? And that's what you see here. You see God, yes, he's omnipresent, he's everywhere. You can't flee from his presence. By the way, you can't flee from him when you want to flee from him. You can't hide from him when you want to do things that maybe you say that God's not watching me. God's gaze, God's eyes are everywhere. He sees everything, and he sees her in her situation, and he, and he comes to her in his omnipresence, but it's with a presence to bless her. Verse 8, he asks her questions. Now, you got to understand, God's not asking questions because God doesn't know something, okay? This reflects some of his omniscience. God knows everything. So you're asking me, well, why, if God knows everything, why is God asking her these questions in verse 8? Where have you come from? He, he would know that, you know, he, she came from Abraham's house. Where are you going? He knows she's going to Egypt. You know what? God's asking these questions not because he needs knowledge. He needs Hagar to think, okay? It's kind of like a Adam in, in the garden. Adam, where art thou? It's not like God's going, Adam, where, where are you? Man, I created you a minute ago. I can't find you, little fellow. Where'd you go? No, that's not God's plight. That's not God's situation at all. God asks questions sometimes, not, not so much that he's looking for information. He's looking for us to do contemplation. He wants us to think. And I see in this his omniscience. And then in verse 9, I see his omnipotence. Because in verse 9, it says, the angel of the Lord said to her. Now, I believe this is, and many, many interpreters of Scripture believe this is the pre-incarnate Christ. This is the second person of the Godhead. And he is appearing to her and speaking to her. You'll see this angel of the Lord sprinkled throughout the, the Old Testament. And so you see the angel of the Lord comes to her and says, you need to return to your mistress and submit yourself under her hand. So God cares. When I was teaching in seminary back in North Carolina, I was also an interim pastor of a church in North Carolina, Green Pines Baptist Church. And I was teaching through the Ten Commandments. And I was on commandment number seven, do not commit adultery. And it's not uncommon for me if I'm traveling that I just bring my notes with me. And on the airplane, I just open up my notes and I, and I study. I try to witness to the person who's sitting beside me. 
And in this case, there's a lady that got on the airplane, and she's sitting next to me, and next to her is the window. So she can't go anywhere. She's trapped, all right? She's, she's there with me, you know, for a flight. We were flying from Raleigh to, uh, to Atlanta. And I noticed when she got on the plane, you could tell she was, something was on her mind. Something was bothering her. You could tell she was nervous about something. And when she got on the plane, I, I tried to make small talk with her and tried to talk to her. And, and she was just kind of pensive, you know, just kind of reserved and reticent. She just kind of would ignore me. And so I said, okay. And so I just opened up my notes and I put my sermon notes on, on the little laptop thing or the little tray that you pull down. And when she glanced over and saw the title of my sermon, I thought she was going to come out of her seat. Because she looked over and it said, do not commit adultery. And finally, I just said, ma'am, what is going on with you? You are so nervous. What is wrong with you? And she said, my husband and my children do not know what I'm doing. I'm getting on this airplane and I'm going to meet my boyfriend. And I just happened to sit beside you <laughs> who's preaching on don't commit adultery. Y'all say, you're making this up. No, you can't make these things up. No, I'm serious. I'm sitting there, and she's sitting there. She said, well, what in the world did you say? You know what I said to her? I said the same thing to her that the angel of the Lord said to Hagar. First of all, I shared the gospel with her. I, I shared with her what it means to have a relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. And then I said, ma'am, you need to get, you need to, when this plane lands, you need to get on another plane and go back to Raleigh, and you need to be reunited with your husband and with your children because that's the right thing to do. I don't know if she did or not, but I do know that you can't hide from God. I mean, God sees everything. God watches, and God, He intervenes, and He intervenes sometimes in ways that we're like, God, how did you know that? And God, you must really care for me to go to great lengths like what you're doing in my life. So number one, God cares. Number two, God promises. Now, I want you to notice this in, in the text, in verses 10 through 12, that God told Hagar he would multiply her descendants exceedingly. And what you see is the fulfillment of this promise. And here's the quote I was re referring to earlier. It's from some, uh, a commentary that I read. It said, History has confirmed this promise from God to Hagar. The Ishmaelites have continued to this day in free and undiminished possession of the extensive peninsula between the Euphrates, the Straits of Suez, the Red Sea, and have overspread both northern Africa and southern Asia. We're talking about the Arab uh, explosion or the Arab population. God, and, and, and that's the end of quote. But God told her in verse 12 that her posterity would have a somewhat of a wild or a warlike dimension, and you see that. You see that promise manifested in many, not all. And that's what Dr. Maloof helped me see. He goes, you can't just categorically lump all the peoples in, in one lump. True, there is that dimension that they, they're ready to fight at the drop of the hat, and they'll help you drop the hat sometimes. But not everybody, you can't lump everybody into that. But I thought that was a fascinating prophecy that God gave to Hagar. And this would happen through Ishmael and through his uh, posterity. But I don't want you to get caught up in that, okay? I don't want you to, I don't want you to wander off in geography and theology and philosophy. And I, I want you to come back to, the, to what, what I think is what God, the reason God preserved this text is to see that God visits people in their distress. And God loves us and God makes us promises even when we have failed 
even when we have done things we should not have done, even when, ooh, here's, here's the word God gave me. E- even when, there, there's usually two things we want to do. We either want to fight, right, or we want to what? Flight. And, and that's, as humans, that's what we want to do. We either want to duke it out and work it out, or we want to just, just leave it. But God showed me that there's a third option, there's a better option, and it's faith. And that is to trust in God and God's sovereign plan for our lives. That this God who is omnipresent, who's everywhere, this God is omniscient, He knows everything. This God who is he's omnipotent, He can do all things. That that same God who wrote this book and appeared to this lady is the same God that loves me and He, he loves you. Here in my notes I have this. I want to read this. It says, As the angel of the Lord spoke blessing to this beleaguered, downtrodden soul, He speaks to you today, and He speaks to me. And it reminds me of just the power, the explosive power of words. When He says to her in in, in our text, He says, you know, you need to return to your mistress and submit. And then He says, I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to bless your your, your descendants exceedingly. Behold, you are with child. You're going to call his name Ishmael. He'll be a wild man. His hand will be against every man, and every man's hand against him. He will dwell in the presence of his brethren. Listen, Hagar, where you are going is not near as good as what you're leaving. And I know it's hard, and I know it's difficult, and I know you've been mistreated. I know that. I know all things. But this this is what you need to hear. You do not need to fight or flight. You need to have faith and you need to go back and make things right. And she did. And I believe that's why we're reading about her uh, today. And God cares, and and God makes promises. And I I don't know where you are today. I don't know what your plight is, and I don't know what your struggle is, but I do know as as a pastor now for many years and preaching hundreds, I don't know how many, not a hundred Mother's Day, I'm not that old, but I'm, I'm preaching dozens of Mother's Day sermons. But I always... Reminded that this is the hardest day for many ladies. In fact, there, there are probably some women today who did not come because it's Mother's Day for a lot of those reasons that I read. Now, they were mistreated. They don't think they're a good mom. They want to be a mom. They can't be a mom. Or, or they had their mom just pass away recently. And so I just want to commend you. Ladies, thank you for being here. And, and you may be watching us on, on TV or online. God, God bless you. I, I'm sharing this message with you to say, listen to this. God loves you. God God cares about you. God makes promises to you. And God, he sees us. He watches us. His gaze is upon us because he wants the best for us. And this is the text here where God reveals his name, and it's uh, verse 13. Listen to these words. Then she called him. Notice how many times the word see is used just in this one verse. She called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees, El Roi. For she said, I have seen him here, and he sees me. You know, a lot of times as I find myself witnessing uh, to people and, and sharing the, the gospel with people, I, I find myself saying words like this. I don't know what your interpretation or your idea of who God is or what God is, But I just want you to know that God is awesome and that God is not against you. God is for you. God God loves you. Uh, I was trying to share with a guy yesterday at at the car wash, and uh, and, and I was trying to to witness to him. I was trying to invite him to to church, and and, and he just didn't want to have anything to hear of it. He goes, oh, he goes, goes, I live in Pflugerville. It would take me two hours to get to your church. (laughs) 
And I thought, hmm. I said, Lord, I'm not very good at geography and distances, but I said, no, Bruce. I said, we have people that live in Pflugerville, and it only takes them an hour and 50 minutes to get to Great Hills. I'm just kidding. I said, no, it takes about 20 minutes on a Sunday. And he, and he just brushed me off. He says, well, there's a big church right next to my house, Shoreline or something. And he said, they've come to my house numerous times inviting me to their church. And I was thinking to myself, God's trying to reach you. And I didn't say this. It's probably a good thing I didn't. But later on, I thought, oh, we're just trying to keep you out of hell, but don't let us get in your way, all right? Don't, don't, don't let us stop you, you know? It's a good thing I didn't say that, but. Here's Martin Luther's words. I love these words. The Spirit of God and the gifts of God are ours through Him who with us sideth. Isn't that good? A mighty fortress is our God. The gifts are ours. The Spirit are ours. He is ours through Him who with us, who with me, who with you. He sides. He comes alongside. God sees. It's one of his uh, Hebrew names as we studied this text a few years ago about the God who sees. Hagar, she's amazed. I believe she is overjoyed by the fact that God saw her, that God cared enough to intervene for her, that her, her setback literally would become her setup for a future blessing. God's taken her test. She's going to make a testimony out of it. God's taken her mess. You've heard this before. He's going to make a message. He's going to make a strong statement through her difficulty, through her plight, through her devastation, through her mistreatment. And, and the thing is, God says, don't, don't run away from it, but go right back into it and trust me. Have faith that I will help, I will help you. 1904, a lady, it's a strange name. Sevilla was her name. I think of Cruella for some, Cruella de Vil. But anyway, her name is Sevilla. And Sevilla was a songwriter in 1904. Martin was her last name. She visited a friend of hers who was bedridden, who had, um, I don't know what her ailment was, what her malady was, but she was bedridden. She was very sick. And, and Sevilla came to her one day and was visiting her and said, you know, do, do you ever get discouraged do you ever get just, you know, wondering, why me, God? I mean, she was just being real with her, and she was asking her, do you ever get despondent? I mean, you're, you're bedridden. You can't do what you used to do. And the lady interrupted her and said, oh, no, Sevilla. No, no, I, I don't. And this is what she said. Mrs. Martin, how can I be discouraged when my heavenly Father watches over every little sparrow, and I know he loves and cares for me? And so Sevilla Martin, she got to thinking about those words, and she went home. And then she got to thinking about Matthew chapter 10, where Jesus said, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your Father in heaven. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. You ever heard this? So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. So Sevilla Martin went home, and she said within minutes, 1904, God gave her a song. And if I started singing it now, I, I bet most of you would, would remember it or you have heard it. And it's his fam the famous song, His Eyes on the Sparrow, and I Know He Watches Me. So I'm going to read the lyrics to you. There are a couple of little nuggets here that I had not seen before, and it's like God just really encouraged me, and I hope he encourages you through this. 
Let not your heart be troubled, his tender word I hear. And resting on his goodness, I lose all my doubts and fears. And here's the phrase. Though by the path he leadeth, but one step I may see. And that's what got me. Though the path he leadeth, only one step I may see. In other words, sometimes God's not going to show you the whole thing. God's just going to show you what, just, just one step in front of you. You know, God has that panoramic view. God sees everything. We have that myopic, that, that small, limited view. Our vision is not near the vision or the gaze of El Roe, and that's okay. God says, just take, when you don't know what to do, just take the next step right, right in front of you. Though I may not see, she says, his eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. Whenever I am tempted, whenever clouds arise, when songs give place to sign, when hope within me dies. Oh, wow, that's powerful. When hope within me dies. Here's what I do. I draw closer to him. From care he sets me free. His eye is on the sparrow, so I know he watches me. And this, then she just breaks out in this. I sing because I'm happy. You recognize that? I sing because I'm free. For his eye is on the sparrow, for El Roe watches over you, and he watches over me. God does care for you, ma'am. God does make you promises, and God sees your situation. He sees your hurt. <laughs> I feel impressed with the Lord to say this. I hadn't planned on saying this. God sees your questioning why you're in the situation you're in. God sees why. He knows why. He has, the, he has the answer for your physical condition. You don't understand it, and you're saying, God, why, why, why? And God says, my eye is on the sparrow, and I'm watching you, and I love you, and in time I will let you know. So that's for whoever that's for. Maybe you're here today, and I don't, I don't know. Like maybe you're contemplating what you would only consider unthinkable just a few years ago. You're contemplating the affair with the guy in the office. And you're contemplating on turning your back on everything you know is right. Can I just say something to you, friend? Don't do it. Because at the end, there is disaster. And so just say, in Jesus' name, resist that temptation. Turn back to your husband. Turn back to your family. Some today feel you deserve better. You deserve a better life. You think you deserve a better husband. Please don't nudge him when I'm saying this, okay? Just, just listen to me right now. Some believe you deserve better. Better life, better husband. You deserve a better house a better job, a better church, a better whatever. And here's what I felt like the Lord impressed me to tell you. Instead of saying that, ask God, God, would you help me that I would make my life better? I would make my husband better. I would make my church better. I would make my company or my business better. You see the difference? Instead of saying, oh, Lord, it's all about me, let God say, no, it's not all about you. It's all about others. And as you give your life to others... I will make your life blissful. Or maybe you're here today and you, there's never been a time where you would say, I just turned my life over to Christ. 
I'm so tired of trying to win these battles on my own or these temptations on my own, and I just cannot do it. Pastor, what, what do I need to do? The first thing I would encourage is this. Just surrender your life to the Lord. You just, just have that grace exchange. Say, Jesus, take my stuff, my junk, and take my shame and my guilt and all my past and, and the things that I've done. That God, I didn't think anybody was noticing, but I know that you saw that. And so I just ask you to take all that, and in, in return, God, just give me your grace. And through faith for the very first time, I'm trusting you, Jesus, to be my Savior and my God. There may be some ladies that need to do it. Maybe some teenage young ladies that need to do that today. You say, well, it sounds like you're sharing the gospel. It sounds like you're saying, I just need to be saved. It sounds like you're saying I need to be born again. Praise God. That's exactly what I'm saying. And if you were in my position, I think you'd probably say the same thing because the only hope, really the only hope for forgiveness and the hope for eternal life is Jesus Christ, who is our rock-solid hope. Or maybe you're here today and you'd say, you know, it, it may take me, Pastor. I, I wish this knucklehead over here would get with the program, and I wish he would lead out and, and lead us to church, but he's not, so I guess I'm going to have to. God bless you, and come on. Lead the way. Take your kids and come on and be a part of our church and let us help nurture you and en encourage you. And can I just say this in closing? Be patient with him. Um, I'm thinking about a guy, a pastor, a doctor, friend of mine back in another state, another time. I, I watched him. He would, he'd come to church and he'd sit back there and he would just listen to me. It's almost like I dare you to bless me kind of thing, you know. Like a couple of you are looking at me over here like that. I'm just kidding. <laughs> His eye is on the sparrow. He watches you. This guy would come by my house. I think this is illegal. He could write notes and put it in my mailbox. And he wasn't the postman. He was a doctor, you know. And he'd say, you're getting to me. <laughs> you're, 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 I didn't know what that meant. Like, you're, you're getting on my nerves. Or, you know. But what he was saying was, God's getting to me. And, I, and I'm listening. You know, think about Phil Sherritts. And for years, Mary would just bring him to church. And he literally, Phil, Stu, you know who Phil is. Phil was, he was a mountain of a guy. He was just so big. And he would sit right where I could see him. And he would fold his arms and he'd look at me like, I'm just going to kill you. I, I just don't like you. I'm just going to. And I watched him. And Mary was just the antithesis. She was the sweetest. God, opposites attract sometimes, you know. She's just so sweet. And she's praying, 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 God, save my husband. One of the great joys in my life was to be able to see him come to Christ at about 50 years of age and baptize him. And then to see him just take on a nation Take on the orphans of a nation of Belarus and just watch God use him powerfully. So, ladies, stand by your man. Be patient with your man. God is, God's working. Just get him here. Get him under the preaching, the teaching of God's word, the worship with God's people, and watch what God does in his life. Lord, I thank you that today your eyes on the sparrow, and I know you watch over us. Thank you, Lord, that your presence is with us today. God, I know it's not just your omnipresence. I believe it's your presence to bless and presence to, to reveal and to save. And so I'm asking you, God, to do those things. And Lord, I just want to revisit with this lady that I was talking to a minute ago as I was preaching, Holy Spirit of God, who, who is this lady that's questioning, that's worried, that don't, don't know why she has this malady or this difficulty with her health? But God, just again, reveal to her that you've got this, Lord. You love her. You created her. You created her body. You created her eyes. You created her feet, her heart, whatever it is that's bothering her, God. I pray that you'd remind her that you love her. You are not against her. You are for her.
So I pray they would receive that, that word, Lord. And again, God, I, I, just, I just sense in my spirit, there are some people here today that just need you, that need you for the very first time, Lord, the Spirit of God come into their life and save them and change them from the inside out. So I'm praying that prayer. And I'm also praying, Lord, for those that need to come and, and make Great Hills Baptist Church, Lord, their home church, their place where they can connect and they can grow and they can serve. Lord, would you draw those families and those single adults, Lord, to yourself. Thank you that you are El Roy, the God that sees. And we bless your name. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand? We're going to have our invitation time. And as we stand to our feet and as we sing, I, I want to say something that I wanted to say earlier, but I, I, I didn't. There, there are some of you here today, and I, and I, and I know this is so true. And you would look at me and you would say, Brother Danny, life is very, very good. And I just want you to know, I, I'm so happy for you. I'm, I'm genuinely, I am, I am thrilled for you. As, as a pastor, a lot of times I don't get the text and the emails of the life is good. I get, and, and I'm good with this, by the way. And I'm, I'm, I'm constantly, daily, sometimes hourly receive texts. Please pray for me. I, I need this. I need that. I'm, I'm in a tough way here. Please, please, please. And every time you do that, I want y'all to know I count that a privilege and I stop whatever I'm doing. Even on the golf course, I'll stop and I'll just lift up a quick prayer. And so a lot of times when I come and I preach, you are the people that I have in mind. It's like God's been reminding me lately, but not everybody's in a tough way. A lot of people are in a good way. And I just want you to know, Bless the Lord. And I'm, I'm so, I, I'm glad for you. You're looking at me like, but you're setting me up. You're about to say, but I'm about to go into a valley. You may be about to go into a valley. You're, you're on a mountain and you're about to go into the valley. And when you do, just remember, there it is. I knew there was a reason. And God, he's the God of the hills. He's the God of the hills. He's also the same God of the valley. And the God that put me on the mountain is the same God who delivers me out of the valley. Is that good? I just, just heard that song. That's a, good, that's a good word, a good song. I am not alone. I've already prayed for you. I, I just, I'm going to ask you if, you, if you need somebody just to encourage you to pray for you. I mean, we got pastors here. We got uh, counselors, biblical counselors. We got people, men and women that just love Jesus. So as our team leads us in praise, why don't you come? Let us encourage you or let us rejoice with you in the good things that God is doing.